Whenever you rent or buy a video, you need to be sure that the film you choose is suitable for the audience at home. Do sit down. We're just about to have some tea. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not panic, but scream. Scream for your lives. Hey weirdos, the kettle's boiled. Welcome to Tea for Terror, where we take a favourite horror film and dissect it over a nice cup of tea. I'm your host, Andrew Graves, and my guest today is here to tell us We're gonna get you, we're gonna get you. Welcome, Aaron Carruthers. How you doing, mate? Very well, thanks, Andrew. How are you keeping? I'm all right. I am pronouncing your name correctly, aren't I? I don't want to get halfway through the podcast and sound like a twat. Well, my mum was an Elvis fan, and it, uh, she way she discussed it, said it was Aaron. Ah, okay. But uh, I don't care. As long as you don't call me a name of A and a hole in it, I don't mind. Uh, uh, well, let's go with Aaron, because I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of an Elvis fan myself. So, uh, yeah. Um, okay. So, how, how you doing, mate? Are you, are you, are you busy? Uh, very, yep, between the, this podcast, I have an interview coming up with a well-known action star um, and other writing as well. Yep, just keeping busy uh, despite the cold weather, but we're all good up here in Scotland. Okay, so so you, you I mean, um, a lot of stuff you do is kind of, you know, similar to a lot of stuff I do, sort of writing essays and film-related stuff and cinema-related stuff, and, and you've worked in uh, Scottish television as well, is that right? Yep, yep. I've been uh, kind of slowly kind of eking a career out in factual TV. The biggest show I ever worked on was Crime Watch Roadshow Live, and uh, <laughs> that was a, an interesting segment involving a, a, a body that washed up on the shore locally. So uh, the story that was told... Did, did you have nightmares? Um, yes, I did. To be honest, I did. It, it was more sad as well because she was up in the middle of nowhere, uh, Scotland, and that was the most sad thing that somebody didn't Sunday was looking out for you so but it was an interesting show to work on nevertheless but i still haven't found the, who she is yet wow. so there's potentially a book in that or documentary for me for netflix mm. well, it's weird actually i mean I, I remember i mean i kind of dropped off and I, I didn't really watch it for years but i remember when it first came on crime watch and it was you know, people forget now. It's kind. Of, it was kind of a, a huge deal, wasn't it? You know, it was. A, you know, very much, a, a, and it was kind of that. It was on Thursday nights, I believe, and it was kind of about going out, and it used to, and it did. Yeah, it did. It did make uh, leave an impact. I think it was a. You know, whether I'm, I'm sure it was successful as well in in bagging a few crims and all that. But yeah, it was a kind of a event viewing at one point, wasn't it? And uh, one of the things used to freak me out was some of the, the reenactments were a bit freaky. For a young kid at my age, watched it all the years ago on a first night, yeah, it was a bit spooky. Some of the kind of the, the kind of the, the dodgy side, the, the rapes, the murders was like, whoa, should I be watching this at this time of night? I had a pa- yeah. parents let me watch all, all sorts of stuff. So. Well, yeah, well, this is it. It was kind of like the extension of the public information films, wasn't it? You know, it was, it was kind of those reenactments. They they were as kind of as, as scary, like you said, they were spooky and scary, and 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 uh, you know, uh, not not the kind of the stuff for uh, young minds to be accessing, I guess. But uh, yeah, yeah, but th- th- there you go. You know, we are that generation who were. As uh, the book says, scarred for life, you know. <laughs> I was scarred for life. Eh? <laughs> All the better for it, I think. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, um, so uh, Aaron, so what, what, uh, what was your entry point into horror then? How did you get into the, uh, how, you know, from a young age, what kind of things were you accessing? Uh, why, why is horror significant to you? Well, this is a funny story. Um, the first video recorder we ever got as a family, the first tape we ever got um, was Disney. You'd think Jungle Book, um, Robin Hood, nope, Fantasia. And Fantasia, oh my God, me and my sister watched it and it was a bloody nightmare. It was horrendous. Um, but by luck, I had an uncle uh, who was a long distance bus driver and he would get vouchers to buy stuff in the service stations. So he owned a lot of the kind of the Arnie, the Sylvester Stallone. He wasn't really into horror, although I do remember he did have a copy of the Hellraiser VHS, 
but with a pin face, with pinhead, and it was the black, it was the blue background. So that kind of freaked me out. And he also had Rocky Horror. He wasn't really a horror film fan, but um, but um, so I watched a lot. I like Robocop, Terminator. That's more my kind of horror introduction was Terminator because that really affected me was the Terminator because it's obviously a, it could be seen as a slasher movie as well as well as a sci-fi movie, a love story, action cinema. So uh, I'd probably say Terminator, but as a horror film family, they weren't really into horror films. I remember, I remember one um, uh, Halloween we got as a horror film for the video shop was called, I think it was called The Crush. And it was Alicia Silverstone. It's kind of like Poison Ivy type, Drew Barrymore type film. I mean, it was bloody awful, but um, that's my kind of level of horror films. Uh, although my mum was into Ghost, my mum loved Ghost because of Patrick Swayze, because all that kind of in the 90s, that was the man you wanted to be with. And um, was uh, in her case, was Patrick Swayze. But probably say it was really when my, my mate handed me a copy of The Evil Dead uh, under, the ta- under the table in high school, my first year of high school. And I was like, I watched this and it freaked me the, the hell out. And um, so. So yeah, it, but then that began, and then I would um, I'd be watching uh, by parenting here. Um, I had a portable TV in my in my bedroom, and I'd watch all sorts of stuff, Channel Four stuff, maybe it'd be the horror stuff or the sexy stuff. I remember. <laughs> um, so the, the rest, that, triangle stuff. I think I was later on. I think I was earlier on. I think I was later. Um, but Channel the BBC Two on a Sunday night they had um, Mark Cousins. Who I, who I met last year and interviewed, really great guy. I said to him how much I used to like his introductions, and one of them was Halloween. I, for a time there, I was obsessed with both Halloween and the Evil Dead, but the kind of the Halloween kind of went away. But Evil Dead was the one that kind of stuck behind in my, in my memories. That it's like that's possible as a as a career path because um I wanted to be an actor when I was in high school, but I was I was horrendous. I was absolutely horrendous. Improv, I was fine, but as remember on lines, um, I was awful. But in that time, I got interest, interested in directing and writing, and then in filmmaking. So that was like it was like a good path to go. But then, uh, back in nineteen ninety seven, when I got this tape, I got the Evil Dead from a friend, Garvin. Um, I was looking through the internet about what how the film the Evil Dead was made. So I was like, well, that's possible. These are blue collar working class, working class guys that had the ambition, had the goal to go out there and make a film. And they've got a career of it. So I was like, if they can do it, I can do it. So I went and studied media and I studied filmmaking at university. So it's always been around in my mind that like, that's a kind of goal to have. So yeah, Evil Dead was a big part of that kind of, burning engine to kind of keep you moving forward but i I, a few things to pick apart there i mean first of all i think it's really interesting um i i did and i mean this you know i um that the idea of you wanting to be an actor then realizing you were weren't very good at it because i think that's a really sort of uh that's kind of a brave thing to admit and and i and it it makes me because i think actors acting is one of those things i think it's um it's it's very i think you know you you can get away with being an adequate actor but you, no one's going to get away with being a really bad actor but i think it it's that thing of people not actually knowing that they're terrible at it and just wanting to plow on you know um so i think the idea of someone realizing they're not very good and as um uh, Uncle Monty says in With Nail and I, I shall never play the Dane. Um, I, I, it's really, um, yeah, it, it, I think, because I, I think how many people, how many people, I, I mean, I used to work in um, a college and I I worked, I did, I did kind of the film study stuff, but you're working in the same sort of uh, um, department as you sort of, you know, your theatre kids and all that. And it was a bit like, you know, uh, pound shop version of kids from fame going on while you're trying to talk about films and stuff so 
uh, uh, you know, and not 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 to sort of downplay some. I'm sure some of these kids were talented, but majority of them, you're just thinking, you're just fucking rubbish. <laughs> Why are you bothering? You're never gonna. It's, this is never gonna happen for you, mate. Just just give up. Um, you know. So so obviously, I don't work there anymore. <laughs> My God, uh, you don't. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I so yeah, I think record. But the other thing, but uh, you know, going off on a tangent, the other thing you picked up on there were was the uh, you know you talked about Terminator and 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 things like that, uh, and I, I think that is another thing. You know, growing up, um, I I think I'm a bit of a you know just being into horror. I think that kind of puts you on the in more general terms it kind of puts you on the outside you know if you're well into horror people see you as a bit strange and weird or i, I don't care I, i'm happy for that you know but i think that it i've always been a bit of a contrarian in within that as well and and by that i don't mean being a contrarian for the sake of it but i do i i i kind of hold a lot of opinions that aren't necessarily popular with a lot of people in the horror fraternity or whatever like so i, I you know certainly in terms of like i you know i'm much more of an alien fan than i am aliens i'm really i'm not that bothered about aliens and i'm i'm and and it goes doubly so for terminate terminate is a perfect film to me terminator 2 i just i can't be bothered with uh I, i've just got a, i i the to me the i don't really like I, I i'm nothing against sequels i think some sequels are great but i don't like the kind of have something that's fairly low budget and low key and dark and shadowy and all this kind of stuff and then let's do the sequel and it's big and bombastic it just kind of loses it to me you know in fact alien is is a is a brilliant is a perfect film but i would take alien 3 over aliens any any day uh, alien is just a bit it's just a bit gung ho for me it's not it it's perfectly fine you know i'll watch it but out of the 3 That'll be the first three. That'll be that'll be the last one I, w- I would go to. The thing is, too, uh, which cut do you, uh, do, do you prefer for Alien Three? Well, which you, you know, you know what? It's a good question because normally, if you said to me on any pretty much any film and said, you know, director's cut or theatrical cut, um, I, I would go theatrical cut every time because I, I I think there's a lot of wanking about and fannying about with director's cuts and generally then they're not that successful however with alien 3 i would say i would always recommend the director's cut because you get you get more of um uh certain characters and uh paul mcgann has got a bigger role in that and it's a more interesting film the the theatrical cut is perfectly fine if you never get to see the, the director's cut but it's one of the few director's cuts i will actually recommend and also speaking about Wiffen, I Richard Richard E. Grant actually was up for the Charles Dance role. He auditioned for it. <laughs> that would have been so, strange. Because <laughs> the thing was, there was uh, obviously there was Ra- Ralph Brown. His um, his character was called Eighty Five. Yeah. Um, and I think his name was Aaron. I'm actually born in eighty five, so I was kind of like, as an interest there because that character, and uh, obviously Paul McGann, Paul McGann, and Ralph Brand were in with the nicest connection there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. the thing was Neil Fincher was a fan of uh, with Neil and I, and that's how he cut was going to be casting the three of them, or obviously only only cast two. Yeah, I think that's it. It's because they, you know, Alien is obviously. Um... You know, it's it's in some ways it's that you know it's got partly an American cast, but it's also got that British sensibility as well with Ridley Scott and you know a couple of British actors and what have you. So it's kind of got that feel, and I think that's the thing with Alien Three as well. It, it carries through. It's got that British kind of grittiness to it. Whereas to me, I don't know, Aliens is just a bit too. You know, if you set up the whole this whole world in Alien, where you've got one alien which wipes out a ship in you know a couple of days, uh, and then suddenly in Aliens these things are being destroyed in minutes, I, I just I, I I don't know. It's got its moments, but it's not. I don't understand why people absolutely love that and 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 disregard Alien Three. The biggest debate now is to what do you what do you think about Alien Resurrections? Um, uh. Well, I I don't actually mind Prometheus to be honest, and 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 uh, and um, but Alien Resurrection is uh, it's all right, it's okay. 
it, it's no. at least i mean at least it's kind of strange and weird and it's got a kind of weird vibe to it it's not a kind of but i think it you know it's got those other glossy elements in there glossy sci-fi american elements which kind of you know it's, it's kind of more formulaic but then it has the you know it's got scenes in there which you know still make me kind of shiver you know and, and or upset me you know the bit where the alien the the is sucked out of the sh that's horrible it's nasty and you know oh, that's you, weird right. yeah so yeah it's got its moments you know but uh yeah but uh i if to me, it feels like the martian of like kind of French cinema with Jean-Pierre Jeunet with the kind of the corporate thing about making big movies, the Hollywood movies. It didn't really kind of it's like a, it's like a kind of like a, a bit of a a mashup that doesn't really work. I mean, some mashups do work, but that in that case, the two sensibilities don't really work. Yeah, it's but, it's kind of like an early example. You know, you see this more and more with like your Marvel franchise films where. You know, I, I think initially, you know, something like Iron Man, I think, was actually a pretty good film. I'm not a massive Marvel fan or anything, but I think Iron Man is a good, it had good, in, it was well-intentioned, mm -hmm. you know, it was good performances and, you know, it was a kind of more organic thing where people didn't necessarily know whether this was going to be a hit or not. So they were kind of trying to make the best film they could. But then you compare to a lot of Marvel films now, you know, with something like Alien Resurrection, you you can see, like you said, it's that awkward mishmash of Hollywood gloss and genuinely interesting ideas, and you kind of get bits and pieces. But I think with like Marvel films now, what you tend to get is like you, you might get, you know, coincidentally, because we're going to be talking about, you might get someone like Sam Raimi. But it's almost like let's have Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi so we can have him on the poster. But actually, we're giving giving him practically no control whatsoever. So that this is a Sam Raimi directed film, but actually, it's it's actually just another Mar just a generic Marvel film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and I think we're getting a lot of that um, with a particular kind of film. I think you know there there are lots of brilliant films coming out, absolutely fantastic films. But yeah, I think that's a danger where people are they employ people to do a job then don't want them to do the actual job like traffic wardens basically kind of park or parking attendants just to park in the films but when they first started out the marvel movies they had like director direct, directorial style yeah. um obviously iron man 3 was a shane black movie it had that sensibility john favreau came for the independent movie world so they had that kind of style and obviously when suppose uh, when edgar wright was going to be doing uh, Ant-Man, that was an Edgar Wright movie with his, some of his sensibilities, which did kind of creep into Ant-Man. You did see flashes, but when really it became like a Peyton Reed-directed movie instead. Mm. So, but now it's just, it's just marsh. It's not, there's no flavour. It's just marsh. So, uh, I think it's time to introduce the film we're going to be looking at today. We have mentioned it a couple of times Yes, we're going to be looking at an absolute classic. We're going to be looking at Sam Raimi's 1981 horror film, The Evil Dead. Ooh, ooh. I fear that the only way to stop those possessed by the spirits of the book is through the act of bodily dismemberment. <laughs> So, Aaron, when was the first time you came across this film? I think you touched upon it there, but what, what were your kind of thoughts when you first saw this film? Well, well, uh, my dodgy friend from high school, the one that used to wear Guns N' Roses um, patches and had the, the curtain hair, and then, uh, and he also loved Iron Maiden, he, um, in my class, says, oh, you got to see this film on VHS, and it was The Evil Dead, and it was the old... And now I know it's uh, the cut version, um, uh, forefront video. Remember them? Remember that company? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I um, so I got that and was I ran home basically, and then I watched it, and I was generally freaked out. I was like, "What the hell is this? I've never really seen the horror." And then that was that was my fucking exposure. And then when I was a teenager, uh, the, the internet was new in 1997 or newish. And um, so I was looking about the film, uh, finding information about it, 
and then I got the Bill Bill Warren book. Yeah, Evil Dead. Uh, what's it called? The Evil Dead Companion. It's still a great book because it covers all three films. But I, I read this cover to cover, and I'm not kind of person that kind of reads books to cover to cover. And uh, that is when I got hooked. And since then, it's just been a big part of my life. Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll we'll, de- we'll get into it, but I think yeah, a lot of films, I think, particularly in terms of horror films, are you know the the scene as being. I mean, you know, the the, the word is is subjective anyway. But seen it seen as being classic, and you could argue that with a lot of films, and you could suggest that and obviously sort of cult horror forms forums and things like that will have a long list of films that they would class as being absolute classics and untouchable almost but i think the evil dead the original evil dead film is it, it, it's unquestionably a classic not i'm not in term not even in even if you don't like you know all of the content or if it's not your cup of tea through and through just in terms of what they achieved and how they changed literally changed the face of the horror film overnight uh it's incredible really because because if you think you know i mean we we talk about evil dad i mean i said there you know it's evil dad it's directed by sam raimi and it is you know but i think what is really important to remember is that evil dad really was the the the, the initial film really came out of a collaboration with a bunch of goofy mates. You know, you got um, Sam Raimi and Scott Spiegel and Rob Tappert and Bruce Campbell, and they were just like, you know, mates who lived. Uh, and, and they, you know, like you said, they didn't have any specialist equipment or anything. They had a Super 8 camera and they just used to make these goofy films and they managed to, and they were massively as you know, as we can see, massively influenced by comedy and Three Stooges. And they, they made these goofy sort of college films and they had a sort of minor success with uh, the kid from Happy Valley. And then being kids, because you've got this minor, minor college success, they decide to make another film, this kind of whodunit thing uh, called It's Murder. And of course, it completely falls on its ass. So so they have to kind of <laughs> rethink things. And then they 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 watch uh I think it was Tapper who watched Halloween and decided, hang on a minute, there's something strange happening here. We could do something like this. And then they decide to do Within the Woods, which was like their their kind of precursor to what became known as the Evil Dead. So it really was just um and, and particularly, you know, we'll get into the production, but just the way that they like like you said in your introduction you know the this film whatever you think about the contents actually the fact that it exists and it it changed so much and became this cult phenomenon and it was based on the fact that these young kids you know because they were kids just going out into a forest and arsing around and making a film and and creating this classic it's it's a you know as much as evil dead you know might be people might see evil dead in terms of a horror film as a downer because you know it, it's fun and entertaining but there are there is it's very bleak as well mm. they might see it as that but actually the, the the end product is actually a very positive thing this is this is how you do it kids you know that's a really good high to guide. Uh, well, uh, no matter uh, how much mashed potato and kind of corn syrup you've got, that it's possible if you have a camera, um, a good sense of ideas and a bunch of mates, it is possible. Uh, if I was uh, lecturing in a co- college, I would show them these films. I would show that students the Evil Dead because now they don't have to deal with like processing film. They can do it on their phones. So... They don't have the limitations. Even back when I was at college in the uh, 2000s, we were still dealing with like DV tape, and DV tape was a nightmare, an utter, utter nightmare. Because if you corrupted it, then you lose your footage. But everything now is digital. So if you were to get the ideas that happened in that film into digital filmmaking, then you could be in hog heaven. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it's the, the, the look and feel of it. Um, you know, because because it is this kind of guerrilla filmmaking, this handmade thing. They, they, you know, they were holed up in uh, this a cabin in the middle of nowhere. They filmed over winter, so it's freezing cold. Um, they 
literally didn't really, you know, they had a certain amount of knowledge, you know, they knew, they understood certain factors about making a film because they'd had practices. But really, in terms of, it was a very, very low-key production in, in comparison to a lot of Hollywood productions. And it was, you know, Raimi and, and co literally just just making it up as they went along and actually you know because they didn't have things like you know dollies or couldn't do tracking shots and and could they didn't have a crane they literally had to make this up like build it uh and and they but because of that you get this this such a it's such a unique film you know your first time you see it you've really never seen anything like it and and it's interesting that people are kind of still or you know certain films will still try and copy this and sometimes they do it unsuccessfully because they're trying to do it with more state of the art equipment whereas it is that grainy shaky camera feel to it you know that's what makes this film what it is and as much as i like evil dead 2 and i have got a soft spot for army of darkness i will take this one every time because this is this has got something even the stuff that people talk about now uh, i mean you know in retrospect you know Raimi said he wouldn't have the rape scene in now and i and i get well you know he was like 18 when he made this film so you're gonna have stuff like that in it mm. so i get why he's and he, you're, he's, he's allowed a free pass i think if you're 18 and you're making a film in the middle of the woods in the late 70s with your friends you know, you're going to do stuff like that. But I would argue that even the stuff that we would see through 21st century eyes as being a bit wrong in inverted commas, I still think that that is what makes it right. It, it's such an unnerving, weird film, uh, you know, uh, but it, because it has that, it, I tell you what it, it reminds me of. It's like, uh, even though it's obviously more over the top, it's like a, it's like a pre-code film. Because what what kind of made pre-code films so weird is the it, because it was the nineteen thirties. Obviously, you got this this four year period where you had film censorship was was slack, um, so they could get away with more things. But the thing that that that's, that people forget about pre-code films is they 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 had this weird mix tonally. Even if you're having something like Frankenstein or Murders in the Zoo, you have these horrific images or this horror, but then it's you have this light relief as well. And I think that that's that they mix in sort of splat a splatter film with the three stooges. And that that's part of but but other than that, it is such an eerie film. It's it's got that sense of the uncanny. And I don't think you necessarily get that sense of the uncanny as much in the second film. You could argue that it was a more polished version, but I'm not I'm not always that interested in more polished versions i kind of like that the the graininess and the strangeness of the rawer original and speaking about the tree rape scene too i think at the time as well i think it needed it needed, it needed a bit of shock value as well because we're living in the time of like last house on the left and that was a highly controversial film and the thing was to the whole notion for the evil dead in terms of distribution was the drive-ins so the drive-in scene was requiring like, oh, there's the bit that's a bit weird and a bit, a bit sexy or a bit, a bit kind of violent. So they needed that to kind of satisfy that audience. But yeah, I mean, it's the least interesting part of the film for me. Um, it, it is there. It does shock. Obviously, it does shock. But it's not when the filmmaking is that good and that inventive. It just like another kind of blip on the blip on the narrative road for me. But it doesn't really, it doesn't really. Um, I'm not really interested, but uh, but I, when it comes to genre, I can see why he did it. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I mean, this is the thing as well. I mean, during that era, I mean, like like you said, I mean, you know, um, th as we mentioned before on this podcast, um, Last House on the Left, it, it's kind of one of those films to me. I mean, we we may end up covering it if one of the guests wants to do it. I, I think to me though it's it's kind of one of those films that's it's to put my film studies head on for a minute it it's kind of more important than it is good it, it has more more elements in it which are really interesting to look at and analyze uh, and I think one of those which which I've talked about before is the fact that what last house on the left does it 
it ups the ante in in it, it kind of really introduces the uh, the idea of nihilism within horror you know this is this is this is not happening for any particular reason it's happening because it's happening it's happening because these bunch of criminals have just decided to do this and and they could be across the road or next door and that's terrifying you know uh and people have kind of touched upon that before if you think about something like psycho psycho is kind of very much you know you're not safe you know it's, it's not the the big haunted castles you've got to watch out for it's the little um off-road motels that that has this weird bloke running it you know all this kind of stuff so it's that um but I think with the but so there is kind of elements of that, and that's why I think that's why you've got the rape scene in there. Um, you know, if you take that scene out, does it make that much difference to the film? Not really. But I kind of you know, even though it's wrong, and I know it's wrong, and it's not it's not something that Raimi is particularly proud of. I'd rather it was in there, not not because I, I like rape scenes or anything. I don't mean that, but I just think it's part of what it is. You know, yeah. you've kind of got to just take it. You know. I, and and I, you've either got to take all of this film or none of it. I think you know, in a similar way, you know, I'm I've said this before. I'm not I'm not massively into sort of cannibal holocaust. Well, I'm not into cannibal holocaust at all. I don't get it. I, I don't. I love Italian cult cinema, but something like that with the animal deaths in it and and the, you know this cruelty to animals and the the animal killer. I just don't understand. It, it's exploitation for the sake of exploitation there's no artistry there it's just purely it, it's wrong and, and and so i i decide to take none of that film so i'm not i'm not going to sort of cherry pick the bits i like i just decide not to have any of that but with evil dead it's the same thing but i i choose to take all of it um i think uh, when i was at college uh, when i studied media and then filmmaking i, I gravitate towards lasses on the left and the evil dead because they were lo-fi low budget filmmaking and then during that time too i was reading the kevin smith books the robert rodriguez type stuff and they were making the low budget films and i think that's my era and also mike figgis i read his digital filmmaking book as well so i kind of been ingrained that kind of way that lo-fi uh, genre films are the place to be in terms of filmmaking um and i would probably say that evil dead and last house on the left are my favorite Wes Craven and Sam Raimi films. Um, I mean, not because they're made films, it's just they had the, the guts to make it. And um, in terms of technical know-how, it wasn't a big, weren't big studio films that were just there to um, make a movie and try and hopefully build a career. So that's, that's where I'm coming from when it comes to these two movies. Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, one of the, obviously, what we can't avoid talking about when we talk about um, Evil Dead is uh, Bruce Campbell, I think, you know, uh, I, I, you know, he obviously to all intents and purposes even though he's done other roles he's been in other films and things i think he is and, and you know he's quite upfront about this he is ash basically and i think you know you can't really have um the evil dead without ash i think that that he is absolutely central to it and he is one of the best reluctant heroes ever put on screen i think and i think you know, if you go back to the original, I mean, all the way through the kind of sequels and, and the TV show and all that kind of stuff, he retains that character. And you, I mean, and the the thing with Ash is that you could you could argue there's not much of a story arc there. But you know, <laughs> when, does he, when when does he get the time? <laughs> no, he's getting his ass kicked. Exactly. I mean, that's that's the best thing, and I think. You know, right from the first film, I th one of the things that I love about it in all of the films, but particularly in the first one and the second one, is it's just how pissed off he is. <laughs> it's just <laughs> yeah, how 
how many bookcases does he get thrown into and how you know what has to happen this poor guy who is not a hero in any form or or at all and he's reluctantly thrown into this this cosmic horror lovecraftian adventure uh, and he's beaten up he loses a hand he's sent back through time all this kind of stuff you know, it's this would defeat anybody, but he just carries on and he carries on. And he's and Bruce Campbell. I mean, I don't know if you've read any of his autobiographies, but he, I've read he, both of them. He, he he comes across as such a just a genuinely down to earth guy who you know who he, he puts himself down all the time, uh, and he he doesn't really come across as Mister Hollywood at all. And he, he's a he's a really good kind of outsider rebellion figure to all of that i think uh but i think that certainly like i said in the first film i think what i mean what what you have to remember is in the, when they were doing the first film you know uh obviously it was the you know low tech lower than low tech um but they still managed to get this this brilliant gorgeous looking film out of it but the reality so we we can sit here and say yeah yeah these kids went off into the middle of nowhere and, and made this film they made evil dead and it is kind of a dream come true and it is something you kind of aspire to oh i wish i'd been around then but at the same time as we discussed uh last week when we talked about a texas chainsaw massacre in reality must have been pretty horrible for him, and particularly Bruce Campbell and some of the other actors who were plastered in makeup, which uh, you know probably hadn't been tested safely. <laughs> they were making, this stuff. They were make, you know, they were making barrels of their own sort of fake blood. Uh, I think poor Bruce Campbell was getting sort of eczema and stuff because of wearing this. You know, he's, it would have been freezing cold. They didn't have proper running water as far as I can. You know, it, it would have been bloody horrible, really. It would have been, you know, in the middle of the winter, in the middle of the woods, dark, cold, covered in sticky, horrible, fake blood, makeup that's giving you sort of asthma attacks, or eczema attacks, sorry, uh, and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and you think, yeah. It's partly the grooviest thing in the world, but also what do I mean, fucking horrible as well. And and I think that's what you get through Bruce Campbell. It's that that look of of being because they would have been shooting really long days as well. And I know that they were getting pissed off because they might have been shooting 17, 18 hours a day and getting two minutes worth of film footage, you know. So they would have been getting, you can imagine they'd be getting under each other's uh, skins as well. And I think that really comes out in Campbell's performance. You can see <laughs> this guy, you know, but I think to be fair to him, even that they had a big, much bigger budget for, for the second one, Evil Dead 2. Um, um, and obviously they would have had better equipment and things like that. And it would have been an, a slightly easier process. Uh but he still retains that. He still retains this 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 hero that's thrown into this nonsense. He has no idea what he's doing, uh, and it's and it's it's almost reflective of the way that they approach the film, the makers of this as well. I think one of the one of the funniest stories I remember for some of the DVDs that um, one of the actresses they were using plaster of Paris for her mold. Yes. And I'm like, whoa! And I think she lost her eyebrows to it. <laughs> yes. I mean. <laughs> sometimes there's, there's times when you can sacrifice uh, parts of your body for a film but your eyebrows are like oh no 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 <laughs> no particularly but, if you, you know you're midway through this shoot it's fucking freezing it's horrible everybody's covered in shitty fake blood you're eating crap because that's all there is and you've lost your eyebrows I <laughs> 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 it's I, and, the then you still, too, and then you still don't become famous. <laughs> I, that's, I, that's times where we made my own projects or right in the cold and the wet. And the, I would still love it. But that's the thing. You had to kind of be a madman in a way to make stuff, any kind of content, which may or may not be seen. But as long as you get the passion there, my God. And there's a lot of passion on screen. You can tell that too. There's a lot of love, a lot of kind of like, like a drive to make a movie. And uh, yeah, yeah, Evil Dead's one of these films that just knocks out of the park. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, one of my guests from a few 
couple of months back, a guy called Sean Hogan. Uh, he's an author, but he's also he he's he's made certain films as well, and he made a film recently, a folk horror film called To Fire You Come at Last. Uh, and it's a similar sort of thing, really. So they filmed it at night. It was low budget and it was freezing cold. It was sort of February, March or whatever. Uh, and I, I think one of the complaints of the actors, you know, every time they'd, they'd sit down, because I think he started pissing it down at one point. So they had to huddle around in this abandoned farmhouse trying to keep warm. And I think one of the actors said, next time you write a, a script, Sean, first line, uh, exterior, the Caribbean day. <laughs> 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 too right too right my god <laughs> but I, I i mean what what do you think about um sam raimi's stuff then you know obviously this film but you know his other stuff and what what he went to do later on how much of a fan are you of his work i've always um you know apart from that uh, the kevin costner baseball film most of his movies i've really enjoyed i even enjoyed then uh, crime wave his follow-up because you felt they still had that same kind of style. And um, so you went from that to Evil Dead 2 and then Darkman. Darkman's a very underrated uh, original uh, comic book movie at a time where basically the comic book movie was kind of in the shit, so to speak, because you had like the Punisher movie, you had Superman 4, Quest for Peace, uh, and that's a real horror show. And then during the 90s, the comic book movie was like The Shadow, the, 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 the Phantom, with Billy Zane. So, but yeah, to have an original story, and then like through the nineties too, you had the Army of Darkness, you had Simple Plan, uh, which basically was a Coen Brothers movie, and obviously there's a link between the Coen Brothers and Sam Raimi as well, because they all kind of Joe Coen was the editor on the, the Evil Dead, uh, assistant editor, and um, so they're kind of like a, a kind of link between them, a Simple Plan, and also Blood Simple, but uh, with Blood Simple, Sam Raimi took. No, the Coen brothers took what Sam Raimi done by making a, a, a pilot or like a short to have something investors would look at. And that's how they followed, um, that's how the Coen brothers made Blood Simple. So that's how I, The Evil Dead is my favorite Sam Raimi movie and the Blood Simple is my favorite Coen brothers movie because they both share that kind of aesthetic. Because if you look at the original investors reel, it could have been a Sam Raimi movie. So, um, but yeah, I followed Sam Raimi's career through the Spider-Man movies. Dragging Me to Hell, um, just trying to think of it. Uh, Doctor Strange, obviously, saw as well. But yeah, I've always kind of had a sauce, but he's a filmmaker I've always looked at. And, and I even enjoy his, um, his uh, Wizard of Oz movie. I don't I don't mind it. I mean, uh, the Return to Oz was the, the film for the 80s. freaked me out because of the people with the wheels. They were like really kind of like, I, I saw it Christmas time, I'm like, no, turn it off, turn it off. But the, his version of... Um, was the was like because it felt again his style crossed with the machine of a Disney. So I've always followed his career and yeah, but Sam Sam Raimi is just a guy that just knocks out the park for me. I'll watch whatever he does. And there's not many filmmakers that I would watch everything that they do. So he's a guy I keep following. So uh, obviously now he's not directing as much. He's always kind of executive producing for Sony doing these kind of remakes of Jai horror movies or producing stuff. And that mm, I'm not particularly interested in, but I obviously give it a watch. I'd give it a one-time watch to see if potentially there's something he's got his ideas in there. But yeah, he's a film he's one of my favourite filmmakers, Sam Raimi. Um yeah. I was a bit upset. I was obsessed with John Carpenter for a time there when I was, when I was growing up. Um I still am. I still I still love John Carpenter's work. And um yeah, that's he's a filmmaker I, I admire still. I think it's a weird concept in some ways because it, it, it's kind of something you have to step back from, um, particularly as an adult or, or you know, as a more mature adult, you, you, you have to kind of let go of these things because I think there is that temptation. I think, I think you're right. I think Sam Raimi is worth watching, whatever he does. Um, even if it's not a complete success, there's something very interesting about it. Um, so I think I think you're right. There is some, you know, I would definitely try and watch as much Sam Raimi as possible because I think, you know, going from something like Evil Dead, but like you said, Crime Wave. I remember seeing that. I, I believe it was on Movie Drone back in the day. Crime Wave, 
Um, and yeah, it's really fun film, and 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 you can tell within thirty seconds it's a Sam Raimi film. You know, it's got all those kind of characteristics. Um, but I think even if he's making something more mainstream, it's it's worth seeing. But I think in some ways is this weird thing, and I think it happens a lot in sort of the horror and sci-fi community type people. These nerdy, you know us basically um you know and it is this kind of we lump together it's like you know um oh yeah dario Argento can do no wrong well of course he fucking can you know i, I can give you about five oh, God. occasions where he's done wrong you know or or faulty or Dracula. whatever and i Dracula. think yeah you Oof. kind of just have to let go and think well they th these these are the films we like we can hang on to that but it's not I know people like to collect stuff and I know people are completists and I get that, you know, there's a part of that that's me. But you also have to, you know, it took me years. When I was like in my sort of late teens, early 20s, I was massively into Tim Burton. Absolutely. And Tim Burton could do no wrong for me. And I think for a time I was absolutely right. You know, I think Edward Scissorhands and Ed Wood and all that kind of stuff. It's brilliant. It's, and it still stands up. Mm -hmm. However, it just got every film that came out. I just, I just, I, I was almost like liking it through gritted teeth. And but it's up because I'd sort of stamped my, you know, what you like when you're in your twenties. You kind of, you can't change. You have to do this, and you have to like this, and always like it. Like bands, you know, even if a band's doing something a really shit album, you've got to defend <laughs> it because you're into that band. And I, but I think it's like that with directors when you get older. You, you don't have to, you don't have to be the as loyal to them you can acknowledge that they've done something that's not great um you know certainly as i said like for uh, fulci and not argento have definitely done things that aren't aren't great you know oh god but I, I but i i i am so glad that they were there and they've done what they've done and and i will mm. i you know if argento makes another film i'll definitely go and see that you know despite the fact i was very disappointed by the last one uh, you know, uh, but but that's what it is. And I think you just have to grow out of this kind of always being, oh, well, this person can do no wrong because it, it's not true. You know, most people no. are fairly fallible. Definitely, definitely. So what, I, I mean, this this kind of film, this the film, um, obviously it caused a lot of controversy and it's banned in certain territories and stuff like that and heavily edited and caught and all this kind of stuff. And it became one of the sort of video nasties, and it really chimed in with that video nasty era. Um, and I think whether Raimi intended it or not, because obviously they were making this back, they started making this process back in the 70s, so they couldn't really know about the video nasty sort of situation or, or the sort of home video situation, really. But that's by the time it came out, by the time people got to know about it, that's really what it was, and and it fitted into that absolutely perfectly. Um but how, how, do you, how do you think, you know, does it, I mean, sh should it be seen as a video NAS? I mean, it was um, officially, mm. but, you know, because, it, you know, a lot of that stuff that was on that list is really, you know, some of it's not great quality, you know, it's not, it's not fantastic. But I think this is um, a, a truly innovative piece of filmmaking. And I think just, just to lump it in as a video nasty is kind of doing it a disservice. Yeah, yeah, it totally does. Um, the fact was too that that uh, the so-called uh, moral watchdogs and politicians saw it as a kind of corrupting uh, type of material. It's like, no, it's, it's zombies. I've not seen many zombies walking about in the streets anytime soon. But uh, it's just that whole period of very nasty. So it just gave people a list of movies to watch. <laughs> it didn't really kind of like stop them. Uh, people uh, dogmatically obviously search for videos or movies, which the, the, the classes elicit. And uh, that was one thing when I got to video nasty movies was how that, oh, this is wrong. The government's telling you not to watch it. But no, um, no. So some of the movies in the video nasties list, you think like that was banned. Dead and Buried was banned. Uh, I mean, some of the Nazi stuff, I wasn't even, it's not my thing. It's, I just kind of was kind of icky. Um, but you look at likes of like, um, I don't know, um, Zombies zombies Lake, and that's just more, how can people get over, upset over Zombies Lake? Uh, it's basically Nazis in like green uniforms and stuff, kind of a bit of swimming pool. It's like, no. I think there's probably more things to worry about than uh, the Evil Dead. I mean, 
Well, I, I'm second. I'm second generation video nasty because I grew up in a time where it was Child's Play Free and James Bolger was kind of linked. And um, even even as an eight year old kid, I mean, I, I read the newspapers and I am that I watched a lot of TV and I could understand that's stupid. A killer doll movie being banned because it's linked to child murder, and it's like I was pretty kind of astute to news and politics even then even an eight year old I mean I should have been watching she been outside more than watching the uh, news um <laughs> but um but no um that's when I kind of renewed the video nasties era was like was basically wrong it was stupid because there's more things in life to worry about than somebody watching something to comfort their own home if they're of age. So but no but yeah um just uh, the thing was to it's hard to believe that the video the evil dead wasn't released uncut until 2001 it took to the 21st century to people realize that oh this kind of horror film should be uncut and i was like no it's been uncut decades ago for adults that are over 18 so but i saw it at a younger age but then it's only a horror movie it's only a movie only a movie I think I think that's the thing. It you know obviously you know a lot of people listening to this podcast will be aware of this, but it's um so I'm kind of preaching to the converted in some ways. But I think with the whole video nasty thing, you know what people forget. I mean, if you say video nasty, I mean just just the term video nasty as was put about by the media does make it seem as though the government and these current moral crusaders were going just after horror films. Uh, because they they were the ones you know if you put in you know like your nazi exploitation films you know you know i'm a reasonable human being no nobody should you know no no kids should be watching a nazi exploitation film so i'm not saying we shouldn't have some restrictions but the disingenuous thing was you you front load all these films these so-called video nasties of being a reason to have these restrictions and then you take that 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 led piece of legislation and you use it to censor you, you can basically censor any video after that you know so it's not about horror it's just using horror as a scapegoat and I, because you know and, and particularly like you said with the second wave with the james bulger case and all that you know it, it, to blame to try and i mean nobody in their right mind who was anything to do with that case knew that um you know knew that Charles Play 3 had nothing to do with what was happening. You know, it was all about what was happening behind the scenes and all this kind of stuff with the parents or non-parenting and all that kind of stuff. It was horrific, you know. Um, however, you know, for the media to pick up on that Charles Play 3, be, uh, the, the reason it's picked up on is is like always, it's the easiest target. You know, I mean, last night I was talking about pre-code crime films. Uh, we're talking about the difference in terms of how Al Capone was presented in the press and how John Dillinger was presented in the press. And I think, you know, John Dillinger got was treated much more like a kind of folk hero. They were both vicious thugs, but mm. Capone was treated far worse in the media than John Dillinger because, as I said, John Dillinger was kind of presented to you as this kind of folk hero, this this Robin Hood or this Jesse James character that you could relate to in the middle of the Great Depression when you might have been short on food or whatever. Oh, here's a guy that's found a way to escape all that. But he was just a thug, really. But I think it was partly encouraged uh, by the FBI because it was easier to gun down someone like John Dillinger outside a cinema than it was to actually go after someone like Capone because, you know, as they talk about in The Wire, the TV show, you know, if you follow the money, you, you get to the corruption and the corruption involves chiefs of police and politicians and nobody wants you to follow the money because it, ultimately it gets to them. And so you, you get nowhere. So it's it's easier to have a John Dillinger character that you can gun down outside a cinema, or it's easier to have a Charles Play 3 that you can blame for these social ills rather than actually tackling the problems. It mm -hmm. you know, it's the same trick they pull out over and over again. Create a moral panic around something that is fairly insignificant because it saves you having to actually tackle what's going on. 
still do it. They're doing it with the post office now as well. I mean, they could have dealt with the post office situation decades ago, and really, then it's just people up the top not doing their jobs. It wasn't the the, the people at the bottom. It was just the computer says no. It was their fault, not mm-hmm. the not the working class people. So, um, I think the other thing we need to talk about before we kind of finish off is that you know I think what's really striking about the Evil Dead um it is that it it's a way it kind of in some ways it's a classic horror film you know it takes it's a very lovecraft lovecraftian film you know it's the ancient text the necromonicon all that kind of stuff finding this in the middle of nowhere conjuring all the all this kind of weird shit demons and all this kind of stuff so it's got that and you know a lot of it the idea of the lonely cabin in the middle of the woods that's a very kind of old idea it's a very almost like a folklore idea you know that goes way back so it has it retains all these classic elements and it's mostly at night and all this kind of stuff so in some ways you know if you strip it down you strip the story down it's not massively original however it's the presentation and the way that Raimi puts it together and the way that it's acted and the way that it the the look and feel and you know the the DIY feel to it where you know the camera's being pushed along on a uh you know a car or whatever through the woods to create this weird um sort of these weird camera angles and these the you know the the tracking shots through the wood and all this kind of stuff um that's what really makes so it's this weird combination of not only sort of comedy and horror but also this weird combination of kind of old ideas classic ideas um mixed with these new very low budget diy um techniques to capture that and that's what that is something it is the genie in the bottle moment you're not going to recapture that it looks incredible it's got a fantastic aesthetic and it's got it it's just it, it's so eerie and so there's something so horrible about it that it's it's almost it, it's very unnerving my you know my wife is very you know she's very much into horror the same as me uh she'll watch most horror films with me but she really struggles watching the first Evil Dead film. I think for me too, with Evil Dead, I think it's a film that really should be watched on video. Because I did watch, my, uh, I've, got the, I've got it in Blu-ray, I've not upgraded to 4K yet, but for me, it feels like it should be on a kind of scuzzy kind of VHS or low-rip DVD. Because when I watched it in Blu-ray, it didn't feel, didn't have that kind of, that kind of gravitas. It's, but I still love the film. But the thing was, with the first kind of Anchor Bay dvd i remember seeing that the map boxes for certain shots not this but i like that that's and then there's been times um on the dvd i'm sure that at the start when they're going over the bridge in the car um you can see uh rob tabert the producer but now on the blu-ray that's gone and i'm like but but for years and years watched it so much i kind of miss that kind of miss the kind of mistakes the kind of like the the diy effect some things that don't go wrong I don't know if you ever noticed this the part where uh, one of the girls comes back in for obviously the the tree rape and one of the uh, the other guy the kind of the jock he forgets his lines and you see him kind of put his head back like oh I've messed up and we things like that they're mistakes sure in terms of the technical side of filmmaking but they're like wee nuggets that you can see by watching the movie and also to I also like how I mean it was good to see it in HD um. There's a bit in the bathroom, and you can see they've just like put up like construction paper <laughs> to build like the the painted side of the, the bath. And yeah, I mean that's I mean they are things that I like, but would, could be classed as wrong. But to me, they make as part of the charm of the movie. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. I, I mean, and I, I think what what's good about now is that we have a choice. You've got, you know, I think it's good to have a kind of crystal crystal clear sort of blu-ray hd presentations of these old films they're they're there but i think it's nice to be able to access um you know older kind of vhs quality as well because i think i think certain films 
do lend themselves to that. I think this this absolutely lend, lends itself to a kind of much much grainier sort of VHS feel. Uh, in the same way, I think with something like um, Zombie Flesh Eaters, you know, or Zombie Two, it's 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 just got a, a very weird feel, and and there's something almost wrong about watching something watching something like that in hd it, we shouldn't see that much detail it needs to be slightly furry around the edges i think that that i mean certain films i think you know um a lot a lot of uh, cronenberg's films from the early 70s i think i think they they look really good yeah. uh you know you know but I think there's there are certain films that felt like they they were made for that VHS era, like you were saying. I think Evil Dead's definitely one of them. And it was good too that uh, what helped Evil Dead. I'm looking at it right now is the, how Palace Pictures were willing to fight for the movie as well. Uh, I remember watching it. I watched it on video. I remember the Palace Pictures, um, but reading the stories about how that they went to court. Imagine taking Evil Dead up to court. It's about wasting court time. Um, on a silly, I mean, a silly movie. But uh, I suddenly came to the UK to testify, and he was just, he, he went home because it wasn't needed. And you just think, why, why it's only a movie? Just thankfully, uh, censorship's got. I don't know if it's, if it's bad as it was back when the James Fairman era, but thankfully we've kind of gone past that era where we're not calling teenage Ninja Turtles now and uh, teenage mutant hero turtles. So we've got some kind of sense where we can more embrace media. Um, and I found that Evil Dead these days, you would never get banned. You probably, if I'd have been such a big hit and were a well-made movie, you might have seen it in shelves to your local Asda for about five quid. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we, you know, in terms of the media, there has to be, there are still obviously legal restrictions in place and all that. Um, but I think it, it kind of makes, because we have, you know, the internet and all this kind of stuff and social media the idea of something being banned for certain people is is kind of nonsense now you know you can act you know pretty much access anything and i don't think there's any way to really genuinely legislate against that it's just not gonna happen i, I don't know how you, how you enforce it so everything's out there really i think the problem is now is that while during the 80s and early 90s as well we were getting things genuinely banned so officially you could not see those things i think what's interesting now is that you've got access to everything potentially but because there's no sense of curation it's just dumped out there unless you know what you're looking for you're never going to find it so it's almost like being banned was kind of one thing because you could always find a way of seeing that even if it was banned you know before clockwork orange was officially released in this country you know loads of people had bootleg copies of it you could see it but i think now it's not so much things getting banned it's things getting lost lost in the mix and the thing is to find a movie back then when i was in the kind of early dvd that was previously banned i mean it doesn't really hold ring true anymore because it does not really because like you said before got access to, to all forms of media you can go on youtube and basically find all the video nasties even the even the nazis taste and stuff even i miss you hug and kisses you can find it somewhere online but it's not that kind of like oh you have to go through different shops different places order online for fanzines or different places um but yeah it's just i mean thankfully now the bbfc are now more ad- advisory board um, yeah, but 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 no, it was a mad time when it, when James Fairman was in charge. I understand where he was coming from in terms of uh, trying to buy stuff for people, but it's kind of pointless because people get it somehow. Um, so Aaron, have you got any uh, any last thoughts on Evil Dead? Why should people watch this film? It's a really good film. Uh, I watched it again for the podcast, and I was just hooked immediately, hooked right from the start. That lo-fi tracking shot across the river. Um, it's just a movie that just entertains, and it goes by because the film it, it go it goes by at a clip because the filmmaking is that good and the acting. Yeah, I, I love Bruce Campbell. There are cast members too. I've noticed them that they're more funny now. The more times that you watch it, but yeah, it's a film that you, that 
Friday night, Saturday night weekend, a couple of beers, uh, a dodgy pizza. Yeah, it's a film ripe to be re- rediscovered and enjoyed. I mean, it's always a movie that I would I would have loved to see in 35mm. There are certain movies. Um, I remember seeing the film Demons a couple of years back in 35mm, and it was amazing. And I'm sure that De- uh, Evil Dead would be the same. If that's one way to get, get people into the pictures, I would definitely suggest Evil Dead if they ever get gets a 35mm release. Yeah. Um, have you got any quick plugs? Um, well, I've got my f- website, The Film Collective Scotland. We're across facebook twitter or x uh tiktok i share kind of horror movie and kind of cult movie stuff um and also scottish based filmmakers uh, filmmaking as well um instagram as well the film collective scotland so just find me there and um yeah uh, my biggest clip in tiktok is a normal wisdom movie called double x name of the game which was shot in my hometown and around about the area. And there's a decent car chase in it, um, <laughs> which is kind of cool to see. Cause, um, but yeah, Double X Name of the Game was a movie that Norm Wisdom made because he wanted to become a serious actor. And this is a 90s gangster movie where Norm Wisdom plays a cracker. And it's also got Gemma Craven, William Catherine Carey, um, Simon Ward, Darren Nisbet, who I interviewed, and he said to me, son, I don't remember making that movie. <laughs> which was which made me laugh because it was a movie I've always watched. And uh, but yeah, uh, that clip on TikTok had over 35,000 views. I mean, for somebody that's a wee site created on his own, it's like, whoa, that's massive for me. But um, but yeah, that's really getting me on the social media platforms. Um but yeah, um, so that's me at the moment. Great. Uh, well, yeah, just remember to uh, um, like and subscribe to for Terror. Check out our Facebook page, uh, write and comment. And yeah, please, 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 please leave us a review. Reviews really help with uh, distribution and all that. So please do that. It just remains for me to say thank you to my guest this week, Aaron Carruthers. Thanks for coming on, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Been a, a pleasure and an, and an honour, sir. You're welcome. Um, remember to call round next time. Make yourself at home. You look like you're dying for a nice cup of tea for terror. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future.